Dear friends in Christ, I invite you to pray with me. Let's ask God to bless the preaching of his word. Heavenly Father, we ask you to work so powerfully through the word so that we have the gifts of the Spirit, particularly the gift of joy and peace this day. Help us to gain wisdom through what you're saying to us today, wisdom that will affect our day-to-day activity so that we can be the people and be the church that please you so that in the end we will hear these words, well done, good and faithful servant. Lord, make this happen through your gospel as we hear it once again, as we hold it in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. I see trees of green, red roses too. I see them blue for me and you. And I think to myself, what a wonderful world. I see skies of blue. Clouds of white, the bright blessed day, the dark sacred night, and I think to myself, what a wonderful world, yes, I think to myself. What a wonderful world. And so our focus on the end continues. And uh, I wanted to start off with a question. Uh, who are the planners here at Amazing Love? The, the, the long-range planners, the planners of meals. Uh, raise your hand if you know what you're going to eat tonight, if you know what the clothes you're going to wear. Who are the planners? No? Okay, some planners. I respect that. I respect that as someone who is not a planner. Like, I am just flying off the cuff most of the time, and I don't innately have this gift of, like, planning the future, and it doesn't come naturally for me. But I had a chance this past week to learn of someone who is a wise planner. And uh, he was a fellow pastor, and he shared two goals that he had long-range in his planning. And and they're goals I wanted to share with you because I thought, man, I was just struck by the wisdom. Now, there were two family goals, and, and his first goal was this. His goal was that when the kids were out of the house, he wanted to live in such a way so that when that happened, he still enjoyed life with his wife. And so, because of that, because that was his goal, that was his plan, to to get to a point where even the kids are gone, it's not about that, he enjoys that time, that means day-to-day he's doing certain things differently. That means day-to-day he is planning date nights. That day-to-day he is planning regular getaways so they can just be together. That day-to-day he is praying with his wife. Now, this is a far tangent, but if you're a Christian man today, I want you to know one of the best things you can do to love your wife is pray for her and pray with her. And I know that's a tangent, but if I could encourage you uh, from fatherly advice that was given to me, um, this is how we can love our wives in great ways. Pray for them. But, but so this affected his day-to-day, again, is, is living in such a way so that when the kids are gone, they still enjoy time together. His second plan had to do with his kids. His second plan is so that when the kids didn't have to get together, or when the kids didn't have to go visit them, they wanted to. 
Do you get it? So when the kids no longer had to see mom and dad or had to vacation, they wanted to based on the home that they grew up in. And so this affects his day-to-day. That day-to-day, he really wants everyone, and, and this is more his wife, he said, to gather around the dinner table and, and to start the conversation on a regular basis so that they know one another. He went on to say that it affects how he relates to his children, that with, with sometimes discipline is different with a daughter than with a boy, and, and, and different with the firstborn than with the secondborn. And does any parents know what I'm talking about here today? Um, all right, yeah, we're all different. Very good. And, and so these were his goals, and based on those long-range plans, he's going to say, I'm going to do day-to-day things that get me there. Now, as I step away from that, I want you to know, right now, you are on a path. Whether you know it or not, you are on a path. You are on a path when it comes to your relationships with others. You are on a path financially, and you are on a path spiritually. And I want you to know that your day-to-day activity will affect your destination. That's one of the takeaways. Day-to-day activity determines destination. That what we want to be, you don't get there overnight. Like, no one goes to college and then wakes up a college graduate like the next day. That takes planning. That gets through elementary school, gets through high school, day-to-day planning and doing those tests. No one wakes up similarly with their life in ruins just all of a sudden. Usually it has to do with the day-to-day activities they're doing that either leads them into prison or leads them into a relationship they do not prefer or leads them into unfavorable circumstances. Now, the funny thing is, when we look at some destinations, some places we wouldn't want to be, some unfavorable circumstances, I bet if we ask those people who landed there, if we ask someone who is in a relationship that gone astray, if we ask someone who dropped out of college or partied their way through college, um, they might have done their day-to-day differently, right? That that unfavorable destination may have influenced their day-to-day, but they just weren't thinking. They didn't know that they were on a path somewhere, and they weren't cognizant of where that was all leading. And one day they woke up, and they weren't where they wanted to be. Now you take this further, and I don't mean to insult your intelligence, but is there any do-overs? Do we have a do-over when it comes to the first time we meet Do we have a do-over of our first years in marriage? Do we have a do-over of our child's um, childhood? We don't. I was reading another article of someone who has now had an empty nest and and things that they would have done differently if given the chance. And, And some of the things they said is, I would have lived in the now more instead of rushing around. I would have listened more. And this was funny, I would have trained them more. They're talking about a son who went off to college and didn't know how to do laundry or cook a meal or, you know, and all those kind of things. Today we learn from someone. And it's someone who I believe, if he would speak to us today, he would have said, hey, hey, I would have went back. I would have done it differently. Please, guys, listen to me. I would do it differently if I had the chance, but I can't. We learn from a story of Jesus. And Jesus tells a story about a man named Lazarus, who we'll learn from, but also from a guy who doesn't even have a name given in Scripture, just a rich man. And the rich man we will hear from, who says, guys, pay attention. I do it over. Pay attention to my story. I do it over. Learn from my example. I didn't know my day-to-day would lead to this destination, but pay attention. That's what we get to learn from today. And so let's dive into Scripture.
Let's dive in. And um, it's interesting as we, we have this story of uh, the rich man and poor Lazarus. This is just another tangent, but some debate whether it's a parable or some debate whether it's a real story. Jesus, who is true God, was privy to knowledge that we don't know. And so some debate that it could have actually been a true story Jesus was telling based on his omniscience, based on the knowledge of all things. And uh, regardless, it doesn't really matter. The points are the same. The points are the same. So let's dive in. Let's, let's read the story that Jesus told us, recorded by his disciple named Luke. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores, and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died, and angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where there was torment, he looked up and he saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, because I'm in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he's comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, Got one shot. Between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg of you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them, tell them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father, Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, then they will repent. He said to him, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. The word of God. And so as we focus on the end, Jesus clarifies two things, two places, two destinations, that there is a real heaven. And most people living today believe in that. And that's true. It's called Abraham's side here, and I'm not sure that translates well. Uh, he was talking to Jews, and so that was a Jewish reference to, to heaven. We, we consider it as the new heavens and new earth based on that video, that wonderful world that God has prepared and has in store for all who believe. But then we hear very clearly a teaching that has become incredibly unpopular today. There's a real hell, and it's a hell that people choose for themselves. Sometimes because they lost the forest through the trees. Sometimes because they'd rather have it that way. And we get to learn from that today. And heed warning. So that too will not be our destination, but we will experience the joy that God has set before us. So let's dig in and, and really look at God's word today, all right? All right, so we, we continue. And I wanted to know... Um, you ever have this experience where you are shopping for something? It could be clothes, it could be for a car, it could be for a house. And you approach the item and, and you are shocked by how much it costs. You are just like, oh my goodness. And for me, this is always an, a, a, a thing of my acting ability. Like, how good of an actor am I? I walk into Hugo Boss and, and $300 for a shirt. Now, inwardly, I'm saying, that is ridiculous. Uh, $300 for a shirt. I would never, ever, ever, uh, this is crazy. Um, but, but I try to like act like, oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> reasonable, reasonable. Just, just not today. Thank you. It's great, great stuff, though. 
And then you're kind of like, that was nuts. Who's, who's wearing that stuff? And, and maybe for you it's not a brand of clothing. Maybe for you it's a purse. Maybe for you it's a house. Maybe it's a car. I'm not sure. We all have different levels of things. But we've all had this experience where we're like, man, who in the world would ever do and wear and buy that? And God is telling us he knows a guy. It's the rich man in our parable. You know the thing you wanted? You know the thing that's out of your range? It could be a Rolex, a Gucci bag. It is what the rich man has today. And, and what does he have? It's not Hugo Boss. It's not Rolex. Look at verse 19. It says, There was a rich man who was dressed in purple. Now, this doesn't translate very well. As a guy, I think that's kind of girly, right? Too much purple is not great. Every now and then, it's kind of like pink. You've got to be careful, right? Um, but with a little moderation, you could pull it off. Um, but purple, and, and purple in this day was very, very expensive. We don't understand this because we have synthetic dyes, but I guess they use natural dyes. And to make purple cloth, I heard that you take thousands of crustaceans or shellfish in order to make just a little bit of this purple cloth. And so this guy could afford for thousands of, of helpless crustaceans to die in order for this little purple thing to be created and he was dressed in them and and this was the guy and, and teenagers were looking like wow he's a high roller i want to be like that that's, that's awesome no one else can but he can that's him well it goes on and it says what else does he have he has fine linen and and it's funny jesus is actually talking about his underwear i'm not making this up and and i'm not going to try to give you a modern equivalent for fancy underwear today i'll let you do that on your own but uh but he's saying he's got some really fancy underwear here and while everyone else is itching he's just fine you know it's it's man i wish i had fancy underwear that, that'd be awesome everyone's doing that and then finally it's, it says he lived in luxury every day and this is where my greek translation was really fun this past year this past week it said literally in the greek that he was making mary making mary splendidly each day. So that's old school terminology, right? He was making Mary splendidly each day. I sound like British or something. But like what, what I translated, loosely translated, he had a party every day. Like he, he had the party lifestyle. Like what we do on weekends, maybe Friday or Saturday, that was every day of this dude's life. And he had his friends. He was making Mary splendidly. He was partying and it was awesome, right? You know, this is party lifestyle. Okay. And then we have the dichotomy. And then we look at Lazarus and his day-to-day. And it is awful. In fact, it reminded me of a documentary that I uh, saw this past, uh, I think it was a week ago, and it was a documentary called Living on a Dollar a Day. Living on, has anyone heard of this? It's kind of rare. Um, Living on a Dollar a Day. This was about college kids who go to Guatemala, and 1.1 billion people in the world live on a dollar a day, or less than that. 1.1 billion. And so they said, I'm going to try to figure out what that's like. And so they, they only got $56. I mean, getting there was something. But while they were there, $56 planned it out. And you got to learn what life was like. You saw that part of that was that because of malnutrition, they didn't have a lot of energy. And so I think, you know, that strikes us sometimes. Oh, well, they're just lazy. That's not what they learned. They're malnourished. And so they didn't have enough caloric intake to do what they wanted to do certain days. They woke up dizzy, lightheaded, couldn't do what they wanted because they didn't have enough to eat. One time, uh, someone got sick, and they went to the doctor, and the, the medication was their whole budget. The, I mean, the whole thing that they had was just toast if they paid for it. So they forego medication. They deal with it wasn't life-threatening disease, and, and that's how they, they make it. And, um, and then because they did have a dollar, some days they'd go to the market, but someday they'd wonder, do I have enough for market day? You know, do I have enough to buy a banana? 
uh, which was awesome, or to buy even lard, which give you a lot of c calories and, and, and went further than rice and beans. Then I look at Lazarus. Like, Lazarus has less than a dollar a day, doesn't he? It says he would have longed for scraps that fell from his table. So this is a modern-day dumpster diver. He, he, he hopes that there's enough in the garbage to fill his stomach with, because he can't go to the market. And, and for medical expenses, all he's got is, is dogs who lick his wounds. Uh, he has no one to care for him. He's got the dogs, though, and I guess they're his buds and they're empathizing. The dichotomy. Now, we draw away from the examples that, that God has presented for us, and I wanted to ask you a couple of questions. And, um, and, and the first one is this. Does God hate rich people, or is it sinful to have riches? Does God hate rich people, or is it sinful to have riches? No. Let that be clear. In fact, I believe if he hated rich people, he would hate all of us. To be very honest, because he has made us live in a certain time where we have much more wealth than most of the world, no matter how much we get. We have more than a dollar a day, don't we? Um, and so if he hated rich people, he would hate me. Another thing that we learn from Scripture, and if you're new to Christ, a lot of this is coming at you, you know, you're drinking out of fire hose. I get it, I get it. But, um, but if, if you're new, we, we also understand that if we have good things, they actually came from his hand. We actually believe that. We actually believe that our riches have more to do with his grace and less to do with what we have done. More to do with his grace and less to do with what he has done. So again, he does not hate rich people. And it's not a parable about that. But, but here's where I think we're getting to. Are you ready? Let me ask this question. Are there temptations that come with great riches? We all know it, don't we? We all know it, living in an affluent society, that there are, as much as riches increase, the temptations involved with that. And God, who loves us, says, I care so much about you that I'm going to warn you. I'm going to warn you about your day-to-day. -day. I'm going to warn you that even though I've given you good things, warn you that I hope you are not on this path that is leading to the destination you do not desire. Jesus taught it a different way in, in, in another book. Uh, Disciple Matthew recorded some words of Jesus, and he said this. He said, whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. So again, if you live day to day wanting to live the party lifestyle and pursuing good times above all, be careful of the destination. You could lose eternity, but guess what? Whoever loses their life, if you're willing to sacrifice, if you're willing when it comes to that point to pursue me over riches, then I want you to know even if you sacrifice, you will have the greatest gain for you. You will not lose the life I have stored up for you based on your day-to-day. -day. And then he sets a dichotomy. And, and I love this. It makes it so simple what we're talking about. For what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world? You could have tons of Rolexes. You could have a, a fleet of private jets and cars and, and all this great stuff. What if you gained all that but forfeit your soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? And let's break it down in view of eternity. If eternity is true, if the end is true, if we all live forever somewhere, let's break it down and, and consider choices. How many of you would choose, let me set up two choices, how many of you would choose one day that's pure awesome, where you get everything you want, all is good, 
you have power, you have money, and it is sweet. It is a good time. But the rest of your life is pure misery. Okay, so that's one choice. That one day is as sweet as you can ever imagine, as fun as you can ever imagine, but the rest is pure misery. Versus how many would choose to have one day that isn't so easy? It's not pure misery. It's just hard. And it's wearing. And it's difficult. And it's sad. Not pure misery. But then have the rest of your life better than what you can imagine. More fun than what you've ever had so far. Pure bliss for the rest of your life. If set up that way, isn't that an easy choice? This is you and I, dear friends. We live on this earth, and the Bible is clear that it is like a day. It is a mist. It is a vapor. It is here and then gone so quickly. And if our day-to-day is pursuing the good times, that's like living for a day and forfeiting the rest of your life. But how many of us don't face those temptations? I mean, when I read about the party lifestyle, I'm like, yeah, I want some of that. Let's, let's do that, rich man. That sounds really good to me. All right. And we're, we're, we're torn, aren't we? We, we get impressed by what, what's, what's shiny and gold and, and man, fun is fun and, and let's go for that. And, and yet I believe there's a rich man who had more than what we have today who would raise his hand and say, please, please, he got one shot to do this right. Please, I beg of you, Consider the path that you're on. I know, I know, I've been there. I've experienced that, but you don't want this. Please, please, I would like just a drop of water. I'm not talking about purple clothes anymore. I just want a drop of water because this is not where I want to be. Dear friends, do you know it doesn't have to be so? (laughs) See, we've titled this series, It's the End of the World and I Feel Fine on Purpose because though the rich man is crying, so Jesus is also here. And though the devil is real, he is not more powerful than the one who reigns in our hearts. And though hell is real, it is not a place we have to go. It's not a place God wants anyone to go. He's made possible for everyone to go to heaven through the blood of the Lamb. And and he wants us to be saved. It's not anywhere we need to go unless we choose it. And so Jesus tells you today through the blood of the cross, he says, though that's real, though hell is real, that is not your destiny. Though the rich man might be there, I have called you by name and you are mine. Though again that is a real place, I will redeem you from the pit and give you the crown of life and you will experience what I've prepared for you. What no eye has seen and ear has heard, you will discover for all eternity. That is yours through Christ Jesus and that is why the church of God bears the greatest gift in the entire world. Because today we have goodness for eternity and goodness right now, though difficult. We have Jesus who has flung wide the gates of heaven and we want all to know. Sometimes I think I'm here just as much because I want to know people to know Jesus, but I'm just here as much so that they stay out of hell. I want none of that for anyone. I'm my worst enemy. And it doesn't have to be so and it will not be so as we keep our eyes fixed on the author and the perfecter of our faith. We know what's in store for us. And it is a wonderful world. This is the good news of Jesus, dear friends.
Do not let your hearts be troubled. I could say amen, but I'm going to go on. Is that all right? This is good. This is good. And I wanted to cover some things that just, there's so much here that struck me as I was uh, reading the Word of God and just seeing how this applies to my life. And um, this past week, I had a, a, just a wonderful week. I, I got together with some Christian friends and uh, some pastors. And, um, and man, it was just good. We were learning about God, and, and we were just enjoying good, clean fun. Like, we went out to eat, and we enjoyed each other's company. We prayed for each other. We are in God's Word. And, and, and man, was that good. And I came upon this principle that I was just thinking to myself, that good when it is good is better than bad when it is good. And and let me explain that a little bit. You can have good, clean fun, can't you? Like marriage, though not perfect, can be awesome. Like I got a teammate. And kids, though not perfect, can give a lot of joy. And you can be inside the will of God and experience bliss here on earth. And I say that this is better when pitted against the bad things that can feel good. Now, I say this, and again, I'm not holier than thou, but because of our sinful nature, let's be real, we can do the wrong thing and it feels really good. We can do the wrong thing and it feels like, wow, that, I, I was missing something. This is, this is good. Mm, mm. But I would tell you that good when it's firing on all cylinders in God's will, it surpasses bad when it's good. It surpasses the party lifestyle. True good with God is better than all. And that's a picture of heaven. That God has prepared for us something that so transcends your experience here on earth that in your pursuit of bad, that that, that good is even better. I want you to know that. I don't think anyone else tells you that about heaven. Then I also learned this principle. How about this? Good when it is bad is still good. And bad when it is bad is misery. So let me explain that. When I am experiencing the good things of God and I'm, I'm in His will and I'm, I'm trying to do what is good and it's difficult and it doesn't go my way and there's agony and there's sadness and, and, and there's friction because I'm trying to, to, to go in God's path, that's still good. It's still good. Even though it creates some tough days. But bad when it gets bad? Man, does that feel awful. You ever have your junk catch up with you? Oh my goodness. You'd give anything to escape that, wouldn't you? That feeling when the reality of what you've done catches up and no one's there copping you out and saying it's okay and and, and your life is now on a different trajectory because of bad. That's a picture of hell. Bad in its worst form where where there, there is really no joy. Where there is no goodness. Lazarus could tell us, I had some good, even though it was bad. (laughs) But I've gained the good that is better than any bad. (laughs) And I like it. More. Next principle. Don't be offended by the simplicity of how God works. This is big. This is big. This has to do with your perception of the church and its workers and what goes on here. How many of you know pastors who are A-listers? How many of you know pastors who are celebrities or in People magazine or who the world looks on and says, that pastor is one cool dude? Me neither. (laughs) Me neither. And maybe we've had the experience where we've even gone to a church and we like have this thought like, this is not very impressive. 
right? Um, and, and I'm not saying we shouldn't bring our best. Let's bring our best to the glory of God. Let's have this place that have the best of whatever it is. But I'm saying you can still have the best in the church of God, and people walk away saying, that, what's the big deal? That wasn't that cool. That wasn't that impressive. And I learned this. I'm speaking about myself, that, that, that I am not the coolest cat you will ever find. You will meet one person to find that's cooler than me, and that's, that your search will be over. And, and, and that's pastors in general, right? Um, and and, and we, we share this most powerful word. We, we carry this priceless jewel in the trappings that are imperfect. And, and, and the, the, the rich man says, I want a different. Um, see, if you would have went about it a little differently, if you would have used some shock and awe, I would have really believed. But look what he says. Verse 27, he says, And I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, someone back from the dead, for I have five brothers. Let them warn them so that they will not come to this place of torment. If you use a little shock and awe, if you just, you know, wow them, if you wow them, that'll get them, right? And I can't help but think, you know what? God did send someone back from the dead, right? And if we don't accept that, what is going to convince us? That's what Easter was about. I could fill in the details. You know what? He did send someone back, and now he chooses to use simple means. People who carry a precious jewel, that word of God, which is awesome. But it can be rather unimpressive. It can be rather simple. Don't be offended by the simplicity of how God works and so chuck aside that precious jewel. And finally, let me speak to the Lazaruses. My mom uses the phrase that certain people have had a hard life. You ever hear that phrase that someone just had a hard life? And, and we see that, don't we? Um, could be generations ago, could be when we look at our grandparents, could be um, immigrants, the first of our family to come here, that, that you have a hard life. We could say that about Lazarus, right? He had a hard life. How's his life now? Pretty awesome. That's the response. It's pretty awesome. And so I want you to know, if you've come in here and today you feel like Lazarus, or it's just hard, or you're just sad, where you know Jesus, but it's still difficult. Where it's still good, but there's a bit of bad there. I want you to know this. Suffering's end. There is an expiration date on your suffering. There is an expiration date for all the things that get you down. There's an expiration date for your tears. Because soon God will chuck them all aside and say, that's, that's not yours any longer. You don't have to scrape and claw. You just get to receive my comfort. You get to be my, by my side. By me, the author of good for all eternity. This is awesome. And this is the perspective we gain. So dear friends, if in your pursuit of God and keeping your focus on him, your day-to-day -day is a little difficult, may you know that your eternal treasure is awaiting and it far surpasses anything we experience here even when we try to pursue the bad. And may you be warned of those bad paths so that it doesn't determine your destination. So that we all know what we've considered that Jesus has redeemed us and called us to his side forever. Amen.